My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you, and try to put this one in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me, at Jim Kramer. The averages rebounded nicely today, thanks to the newfound hope that the coronavirus is something we can deal with. Meet the new flu, same as the old flu, except it spreads faster and more easily. With the Dow gaining 116 points, this would be climbing 0.47%, and the Nasdaq poll voting 0.87%, the latter two closings, record highs. But you know what? You know where the real action was? It was in the highest of flyers in the basis of speculative stocks. And that's what we need to focus on. In part because it's totally out of sync with the coronavirus panic we experienced yesterday. And in part because a lot of the old guys will say, you know what? This is a top. I don't think that. But I'm giving them their due. So what am I talking about today? I'm talking about Enphase. I'm talking about Virgin Galactic. Ballard Power. Plug Power. And countless others that have become darlings for younger investors. You go look at my Twitter feed. Go read Reddit. They're pumping these stocks, in some cases even holding them, rather than just ringing the register, because they believe taking profits is for losers. Before I get into this, I need to stress that I'm, I'm pro-speculation. I think it's good, even essential. Essential to speculate on dicey stocks with part, just part, of your discretionary money uh, market, money, mad money portfolio. So you've got the retirement money, which is just completely wrong to speculate on. Then you have a mad money portfolio of a group of stocks. Within that group of stocks, you can have some speculative stocks, one or two. So I won't try to talk you out of trading like this, if only because that would make me a hypocrite. I never would have gotten positive and told you to buy the stock of Tesla in the high 280s if I had a problem with speculation. I wanted to help you try to make money rather than being some kind of hoity-toity purist who believes it's not fair to make money in a stock like Tesla and you can only own an index fund because you'd be stupid. I don't feel like that. That's many others who do, not me. People went ballistic, though, at the time when I recommended Tesla because I was so late. I was obviously chasing. But given the Tesla's up more than 600 points from there, I think I did a pretty good job. I, it was a pretty good call. I argued that the stock really wasn't overvalued and should, stop, and should stop being compared to the value of Ford Motor. In fact, I told you at that time to wake me up when Tesla's market cap is more than double the capitalization of Ford and GM taken together. Well, wake me up. Here we are. Tesla's now a $168 billion company. GM's worth 50, Ford's worth $32 billion. If you listen to me when I got by the stock last fall, I think it makes sense right now, since we got past the level that I said it could get to. Now I think it is time. I think you take a little off. You know, a little schnitzel. Leave the rest. Tesla's now reached my initial price target. The thing that's about speculation is that you need to be somewhat disciplined. I would sell maybe as much as half here, if you bought it when I said then let the rest run. Why half? Because Tesla's had a spectacular move. It's up nearly 120% for 2020. And discipline says that when a stock reaches your price target, you have to let some go. You can't just revise that target up like a lot of the analysts do, because that's a recipe for disaster and lacks any rigor. Selling half your Tesla here in the, from if you bought it to the 280s, and guess what will happen? Oh, lordy. You'll be playing with the house's money, which is the best way to invest. You're working with pure profit, so you'll never be the fool. Boy, does that put you in good company, because in the immortal words 
of those stock sages, and I'm not talking about Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. I'm talking about the main ingredient. Everybody plays the fool sometime. No exception to the rule. Maybe factual, maybe cruel. Let everybody else play the fool. I didn't go to college to get stupid. So with that in mind, are you playing the fool if you buy Virgin Galactic up here? Oh, my. Virgin Galactic. We got to talk about Virgin Galactic. Symbol spice. Like spice of life. This one's tough. If you want to go to space and you got a lot of money to burn, well, you got to go Virgin Galactic. I don't think you can get there with the Spirit Airlines. I don't think the uh, I don't think the United goes. Uh, he expects to have Sir Richard Branson in orbit before the end of the year. Good work. They're targeting 115 space flights in 2021. Yeah, space tourism is about to become a big thing. And from what I can tell, it's not an extremely full flight. Now, Morgan Stanley's been incredibly thoughtful on this one, arguing that Virgin Galactic occupies, and I quote, extremely scarce real estate in the publicly traded space economy. (laughs) No kidding. Last week, they published a piece arguing that the company, quote, might dominate or even monopolize space tourism, end quote. Sounds good. How speculative is this thing? Well, Morgan Stanley argued that the valuation was quite reasonable, quite reasonable. When you look at the potential earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization in 2030, that's right. They needed to look 10 years out. In a clear day, I can see forever. I saw it with Barbara Streisand years ago. Uh, and to justify this thing. And since then, the stock's rallied another 14 bucks. Now, yesterday, they published a piece after the stock surged 21% last Friday. This time, they noted that the driver here was a not very important test flight. But that hasn't stopped Virgin Galactic stock from roaring. This thing has made a lot of people look like geniuses. Credit Suisse tried to bring you back to earth on this. They published a piece using a $12.43 price target when the stock was trading at 9 in November, and you couldn't give it away. But listen to this list of risk factors. Uh, the risk factors. Quote, given the unprecedented and largely untested nature of this business model and product offering, there are significant risks to investing in spice. These risks include lower than expected demand, scheduled slippage of the first commercial flight, higher than expected flight costs, or an operational accident, end quote. Still, that wasn't up to scare away. People are very, 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 very excited about this thing. I know this because I've seen Virgin Galactic pumped relentlessly, relentlessly on my Twitter feed. And then on the incredible, uh, let's just say, canon of gospel even of stock thinking, Reddit. These are bad places to get information. But listen to some of this stuff. Quote, Virgin Galactic Spice is going into orbit. Have that one for free, Kramer. Oh, thank you, poster. Thank you so much, Jimmy Chill says. Then there's, quote, I'm up 300% in Spice in like three months. Don't you like the like? In like three months, thinking about dropping out of college. You know what? Maybe I should. Or maybe get a grammatical lesson. Hey, I got one. That encapsulates all of them. You can't make this stuff up. Wait. Anyway, this one says, quote, I don't know Jim Cramer, but I have a bad case of FOMO and just bought some spice. Now, end quote. The amazing thing is the guy made a killing. <laughs> I mean, if you read the register, he made a lot of money. But do you think he did? Listen, for all I know, space tourism could be turned out to be a real industry. But for heaven's sake, if you own Virgin Galactic, hey, the guy, the FOMO guy and the guy uh, who's thinking about dropping out of college, don't quit your day job either, chief. I think you ought to bring the register on some of this stuff. I, I don't get greedy. And, and believe me, I, I'm telling you, thank me. You don't have to do it all. 
but just some. And look, it's not just this one stock. You got Enphase Energy. It's up by a cool 42% today. Why not? This is a company that makes microconverters for turning solar power into electricity. Enphase just reported a true blowout quarter, 210 million in sales, 2.1 million microconverters shipped, 52 million of net income. No wonder the stock caught fire. Now, you know what? I mean, I know I, 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 this one's not done going higher. I, I, I would still trim a little, but I, I think you go higher. You see, anytime you see anything positive in solar, you also get the fellow travelers like Ballard Power and Plug Power. You're never allowed to say a bad thing about those. Uh, they always advance this kind of news. They are hydrogen fuel cell companies that have been losing money for ages, yet no one can resist them when something good happens in alternative energy space. If you own them, once again, I recommend ring the register after these moves, but I know you won't. You'll just hate me. That's okay, too, because I'd be Jimmy Chill. Of course, they aren't all full of hot air. Solar Edge Technologies is killing it worldwide with this innovative equipment. They're having a hard time meeting demand. High quality problem. Hey, if you want to bet, if you want to bet on some sort of solar pin action, I would stick with the real solar companies. And then there's the very best, the worshipful, the golden calf, the dothan. In the Ten Commandments, the Edward G. Robinson, he worshipped. Yes, I'm talking about Tesla. Tesla itself, with a solar business that was supposed to be a millstone, even an albatross around the company's neck. It turns out it's incredibly exciting. When you combine the Tesla solar solutions with the new batteries that Musk intends to come up with, you have the possibility of a car that can run absolutely off that electric grid that is powered by 28% coal and all that nat gas, all the things that you and I hate if we keep the Earth as a stakeholder. Those batteries might not even need that much charging. I mean, Cube Weaves, when will we know more? <laughs> At Tesla's quote unquote battery day, which is on some undeclared date in April. I bet it'll be nuts. International Battery Day. Call me in. Get me stub up. Okay, look, I know these speculative stocks are all very exciting. They're a lot more interesting than something like Kramer Family Fave, Okta, or Broadcom, Salesforce, NVIDIA, let alone, I'm not kidding, they're even. More exciting than Ring Central or get this, Zscaler. But here's the bottom line. If you own a speculative stock that shot through the roof today, please take something off the table. And you know what you gotta do? You gotta go buy yourself a beautiful cashmere sweater. As my mom always said, you had to do it for a big win at the ponies. That way you'll have something to show for it if these high flyers give back their gains. Fill up in North Carolina, fill up! Thanks for taking my call, sir. My pleasure. I've got a sizable position in Cedar Fair. I've owned it over five years. This morning's earnings report was uh, record-setting in all respects. How do you feel about it, sir? Cedar Fair is a first-class operation, and against that, I would say Six Flags is a sixth-best operation. I think that the the people who run Cedar Fair are going to do a good job. 6.8% yield, I like it. What is that song? Oh, my. There we are, the main ingredient. I thought it was that thing that Buffett and and Munger put together, but it turns out, no. Okay, I get it. It's exciting to watch your high-flying spec stocks take off day after day, isn't it? Discipline says maybe some ka-ching, ka-ching. Man, tonight, wing stops dropping after earnings. Does the company need a wing and a prayer? <laughs> or is there a nugget of hope for investors to go with the CEO? Then the way we shop, buy, and pay is changing. So can the payment processors turn plastic into cash? I'm going off the charts to find out. And as the coronavirus outbreak continues to be cause for concern, I'm eyeing one company that's working to guide organizations through the crisis. 
Don't miss my exclusive with, yes, Everbridge. Stay with Spice Space, 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 and stay with Space and Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Side of the stock of Wingstop. The chicken wings chain has been a terrific performer in recent months. Stock rebounding from the low 70s in November to 101 as of yesterday, thanks in part to a strong analyst meeting last month. But this morning, Wingstop reported a confusing quarter that only sent the stock down nearly 3% today. While they delivered a 3 cent earnings miss off of a 17 cent basis, revenue came in better than expected. Same store sales were phenomenal, up 12.2% year over year. You saw the same thing with the full-year forecast. Wingstop's guiding for 10% plus system-wide unit growth this year. Excellent. But they're also predicting mid-single-digit same-store sales growth, and that is, seems like a market deceleration. After opening down a couple of bucks, the stock briefly turned positive, climbing to 103. Then it ran out of steam and finished the day in the red off $2.88. you got to wonder who was right, the buyers or the sellers. The stock's been a big winner for us over the years, so let's check in with Charlie Morrison, the chairman and president of Wingstop, learn more about the quarter and where the company's headed. Mr. Morrison, welcome back to Mad Money. Great to be here, Jim. All right, Charlie, I'm looking at the fabulous deck and, of course, the numbers. And all I can think of is you have uh, confidence in your model because you have incredible industry-leading margins. And that's what I care about when I'm in the restaurant business. So explain how much better you are than Domino's, Chipotle, Yum, Papa John's, and McDonald's. Well, Jim, we're a brand that's in a category all by itself. And we do have some of the best margins in the industry, no matter how you compare it. And a lot of it has to do with the strength of our brand and the continued growth. We've just finished our 16th year of positive same-store sales growth. Um, Our core commodity product, Chicken Wings, has been very stable over the past couple years. That's good for our brand. Our franchisees are reinvesting now with over 600 restaurants in our domestic pipeline. Um, We continue to see the outlook for growth and the levers that we have in front of us to drive this brand for a long time to come. In the meantime, I, I was shot 39% digital already? No one's even near that. No, in fact, we uh, exceeded 40% in the first quarter alone. And if you look at the metrics a little deeper, Jim, you'll see that about 160 of our U.S. restaurants already are over 50% digital and a handful over 60%. So next to the big pizza players, Wingstop certainly a clear second uh, in that race, but growing fast. All right, so how's that DoorDash deal working out for you? Fantastic. We have a great relationship with DoorDash. In that relationship, we've been able to make sure that each of the two companies are benefiting from the strength of Wingstop's uh, format for delivery. We have a high check average. That's great for DoorDash. We generate a lot of tip revenue for their drivers. That's great for the business. And in turn, they deliver a high-quality occasion, very consistent, delivering on the expectations of our guests, which is most important. For us, it's been a big win. Now, I, I look at the proven and highly portable brand sl- uh, slide, <clears throat> but I'm stuck by, I mean, I mean, you have 10 in Pennsylvania, you have 19 in New York, you have five in Oregon. I mean, you could multiply all those by 10 if you had to. We have a lot of white space, and you hit on, on the key word there, Jim, it's portability. 
Uh, our brand has had success in any market that we go to. The key is establishing ourselves in the right areas, the major metro areas. That's our first priority. Fortressing those by having great penetration that creates scale. That advantage leads to consistent restaurant performance. And if you look over time, our restaurants continue to comp up each and every year from the day they open all the way through their history, even our oldest restaurants in the system. So we have a lot of confidence in our ability to really penetrate those markets in the future. Now, you have a lot. It seems like a lot of information about people. I know you use Salesforce. Uh, it, it seems like you're, uh, whoever owns your stores has really a good sense of who's coming in and what they need. They do. Uh, in fact, we leverage CRM as a key capability to really engage our core guests. We don't rely on loyalty systems, but more importantly, engaging with our guests, understanding what it is that drives their occasion, and continuing to make sure we're taking care of their needs first. And then, you know, as we continue to expand our national advertising format, we're gaining new guests, new people coming into the brand who haven't used our, our product. That's fueling our same-store sales growth. As we engage with them, that application is ready to go and engage them for future occasions as well, which increases frequency and drives the long-term performance of the company. All right, you're talking about the possibility of 6,000 stores. This concept obviously travels very well overseas, doesn't it? It does. In fact, I just got back from Europe looking at restaurants in London as well as in southern France. Our performance has been fantastic out of the gates. We've only been at it a little over a year we opened our first dark kitchen in London. It's great success. The brand is really resonating and taking off in that market. And in France, people love chicken. It's one of the highest and best uh, chicken consumption markets in the world. We've had a great start so far. So I'm really excited about what our footprint and opportunity are internationally. I think people have to understand that it's, uh, you can't just walk, knock on a door and say, listen, I want to own a, a Wingstop. I've talked to you before because the restaurant business is hard. It, it, you have to earn a Wingstop, don't you? Well, you have to earn it, and the, the people who have earned it the most are our existing brand partners, our franchisees. Uh, 90% of the restaurants that we open come from our existing franchisees. 80% of our pipeline is from people who already own restaurants and are developing those. It's great to see that our existing franchisees continue to reinvest. It's the easiest way to sell is to sell to an existing customer, as you know. And that's been the way we've done it at Wingstop, and we're going to continue down that road. One of the things I really like about your model uh, at a time when it's hard to find labor and you're really, you know, you, candidly, you have to get people who uh, haven't had much work experience or have had some experience that wasn't good work. And your labor model is so easy. You're not trying to tell them to do a, a beyond chicken and a chicken and a drumstick and a wing and a bonus. How did you know to keep it simple? Well, when you have a brand that's positioned like ours and it's in a category all by itself and you really don't have a true competitor, it's easy to keep your model very consistent and just introduce it to people who don't know it and just keep providing that product that people crave to our existing guests in a high-quality format. Because our restaurants are so small and because nearly 80% of our business is takeout, it's easy to operate and staff these restaurants with very few people, which means we have a lot of great tenure in our restaurants, people who have been around a while, and that, as you know, uh, drives quality. And then the last thing that I really love about you is that people say, well, I only need to be in A malls. I got to be in an A mall. I got to be, you know, not everybody needs to be in a palace. Your B malls work better than an A mall for you. So therefore, your rents must be pretty good. You know, our rents are great, and we are in what other people might refer to as B-minus, C-plus real estate. For Wingstop, that's A-plus to us. 
Uh, it's definitely low cost. There's a lot of availability of that real estate. We can expand over the years if we need to. It's been a great uh, strategy for us to hit the markets in the core, work our way out into the suburbs, and then continue into some of the tertiary markets around the U.S. especially. Um, but for us, any site's a great site. And as we continue down our path, we'll be looking for more strategic sites where we can capitalize on delivery, which is a growing part of our business and a big lever we're going to pull this year to be able to even be more stealth, perhaps, in our location strategy. Well, well congratulations, Charlie. I mean, you just keep delivering. I, if I focus on a three-week period, I miss the gigantic move, and I know better than to do that. Charlie Morrison, the chairman and president and CEO of Winkstop. Great to see you, sir. Really great to talk to you. Thank you, Jim. Guys, this is, you, Jim. this is a long-term winner. And when it's down is when you buy. Dead money's back in. What do we do with some of the hottest stocks in this market that just keep climbing higher that a lot of people are mystified by? For instance, how about the payment processors? Think the credit card companies. I'm talking about PayPal, Square. Buyers keep backing up the truck for these stocks. It's relentless. It's in part because they belong to the financial tech cohort that gets a boost whenever the actual banks go out of style in the Wall Street fashion show. Money just journals from one area to another. A lot of hedge funds try to mirror the sector weightings to the S&P 500. That way, they're less likely to underperform the benchmarks by big margins. Owning the fintech, in other words, the banks that are tech, lets them have financial exposure without the risk of owning a real bank. Don't get me wrong. I love these payment processors. I think they've got a great story as consumers worldwide continue to switch from paper to plastic. It's possible the next generation won't even carry cash in their wallets. Uh, Why bother when you can pay with your phone? There will always be transactions, though, and they'll be handled by the likes of Visa, MasterCard, and American Express, often through Square's hardware or PayPal's peer-to-peer payment network. The only problem? These stocks have all had huge runs, magnificent ones I absolutely hate to chase. But you know what? While my gut tells me to be careful here, my head tells me to take a more quantitative, more empirical approach to the payment place. Uh, and that's why, what do we do? What do we do when we're just saying, you know what, these stocks have had a big run? Well, you know what, we're going to go off the tapes. We're going to go, we're going to, go to the charts, look at the tape, with the help of Bob Lang. He's the founder of ExplosiveOptionsDebt.net. He's also a brilliant technician. He's part of the all-star duo behind the Street.com's Trifecta Stocks newsletter. He writes with me, and he's the author of Know Your Options, because he can give us a better read on where these stocks might be headed. And he's had a great reputation with us. He's actually doing a lot of public speaking. He does a very good job if you see him around. Full disclosure, Lang has Visa and MasterCard in Trifecta Stocks portfolio, and we own MasterCard for my charitable trust, which you can follow by joining the ActionLearnsPlus.com club, where we talk about it endlessly. Uh, can these names keep climbing? That's what we have to well, Why don't we just start with the daily chart of Visa? Look at this, will you? And this stock's been roaring of late, surging to a new all-time high today. Lang points out the Visa recently broke out from a bullish flag pattern. That's a bullish flag pattern, okay? It's a formation, and that's where the stock consolidates after a big move by trading sideways. Big move, sideways, okay? Once you break out from a bullish flag, you tend to get a substantial move higher. And I don't think this one is done, right? Meanwhile, Visa's volume has been solid for weeks. You see the volume. It's very strong. The check and money flow down here, CMF. Okay, it's a tool that measures the level of buying and selling pressure. It remains pretty darn bullish. This indicator tells us that big boys have been buying Visa hand over fist since late November, and they keep doing it. Plus, I want you to look at the moving average convergence divergence. We call it the MACD line. 
That's a momentum gauge that helps technicians detect changes in a stock's trajectory before they happen. Lang points out that Visa just gave us a bullish MACD crossover right here, where the black line, got that, crosses above the red. And this is one of the most reliable buy signals in the entire book. After today's move, the stock now at 213. Lang easily can see it go up to 230 before it runs out of steam. I think he's going to be right. All right, how about MasterCard? This is a big position for Action Alerts. Full disclosure, we sold a little yesterday. Why? It's just gotten too big. We can't have the MasterCard fund. <coughs> Excuse me. This cough has been bugging me. No, it's just a cough. All right, MasterCard, you got a very similar chart from the other pure play credit card titan. MasterCard experienced a powerful breakout on very strong volume in recent weeks. It was almost surreal because nothing was happening. But you got the same MACD buy signal we saw in Visa. See that cross? Same robust uh, chicken money flow uh, going back to the fall. Plus, there's this Ichimoku cloud. I always think it's funny, but it does work. It's a green space on the chart. Technical tool we talked about before. Use a bunch of moving averages to give you a read on the whole situation at a glance. When the Ichimoku cloud is green and expanding, look at that. See, it's expanding. You can't use two fingers at once, idiot. Um, what happens? We Well, we like what we see. I saw it with MasterCard. Uh, the stock is likely to head higher. Uh, when I saw this work with Bob, I said, why didn't I hold on to a little bit? Why did I? Well, we still have a lot of MasterCard for the trust. But maybe maybe we were being uh, undisciplined by selling something. I mean, stocks at what three forty five are today made a new high. Lang thinks it's good at three sixty in the near term. You know, can I say? I think he's going to be right. That thing's a horse. All right, here's one that I thought would go down because of uh, the coronavirus and the lack of travel. American Express, and this is where the daily chart's a little different. After Amex reported in late January, the stock exploded higher, then quickly pulled back. Okay. So you can see this higher and then pull back. You know, that's excuse <coughs> me. Usually a sign is going to go right down. I mean, really, I hate that pattern. Since then, though, and this is when I thought literally that this was going to be Corona, that that was going to be the big leg down for American Express. No, it started gaining some momentum. Lang points out that we're getting a bullish MACD crossover right here, right now. And the stock's been climbing on robust volume. And the Ichimoku cloud will obviously look, look it's expanded. It's green and it's fat. Tells you that it could have a lot more upside. Right now, market especially sits at 137, but it's up six points very quietly. It can break through its high at 138. Lang thinks this goes to 150. You know how many people are short American Express betting that worldwide travel is going to go down? I mean, this is the kind of thing. The hedge funds are dead set against this stock, and the chart is supreme. I sense a squeeze coming. Then there are the more technologically inclined payment plays. Uh, why don't we start with PayPal? Uh, we used to have big position actually. We caught a double. Uh-uh. There was more to it. Here's a stock that seemed to lose its mojo last summer. But ever since it bottomed in late October, PayPal's been red hot. When PayPal reported last month, the stock pulled back, and that turned out to be a fabulous buying opportunity right here. Ouch. I did nothing because I had gotten a little more negative. I mean, it's just an illness. Look at this. It didn't skip a beat here. Even if you missed that chance, Lang says that option traders have been all over this one with strong coal buying in March contracts and beyond, meaning they believe this thing's not done. I like that. Shaking money flow, really great shape. Look at that. That's really fabulous. Institutions can't get enough of this stock. Ichimoku Cloud, real good, okay? Uh, with the stock's recent breakout to new highs, it's now 124. Line sees this one going into the 130s. I agree. 
Finally, check out the weekly chart of Square, which I'm concerned about because Shopify is moving in against them. This payment technology company with a money lending kicker, well, they can extend credit to the small business clients, collect directly from the receipts, had a roller coaster year in 2019. That was because, remember, Sarah Fryer, whom we love so much, left, go to another company. In the last couple of months, those squares come roaring back. People are now putting that in the rearview mirror. Until the last few days, the stock has been pushing against a strong ceiling resistance. Yesterday, Square broke through that ceiling. Today, it tacked on nearly three more bucks. Now people are shorted off the Shopify. Believe me, that's what happens. Meanwhile, Lang points out that the money flow is fantastic. Look at this. It's Shimoku Cloud getting there. Just turn green. You probably can't see it, but I, I, I actually had to. Let's, I inspected it for you. Plus, he tells us the call volume has been very strong of late, suggesting option traders believe Square is more in the run. After this breakout, 100 bucks, 16% run. Yeah, I mean, Shopify, if they want to come in, it's not going to be uh, quick enough to stop this monster. Bottom line, as much as these payment stocks have run, the charts, as interpreted by Bob Lang, suggest Visa, MasterCard, American Express, PayPal, and Square all have more room to run. I think he makes a good point, but you know what? I like these names even more of them. Pullback or also wouldn't have sold a little bit of MasterCard. But what can I say? These are best in show. I'm going to Mar- Marietta in Virginia. Marietta. Hello, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you? Oh, just great. I'm a longtime investor, and I watch your show daily. Thank you. And I want, I want to ask you about Bank of America. Should okay. we sell, should we hold, or should we buy? Okay, um... I don't really like the bank stocks, to be honest, because they seem to be trapped by this ridiculous yield curve. But Bank of America is not an expensive stock. I think you can own it over time. I think it'll be good. I think Warren Buffett will say good things about it when he speaks to Becky. I think you're fine on it. Uh, The oils and the banks can rally here. But as they rally, cut them back. I think you have to do that. They're just not as good as other stocks. What can I say? All right, the payment processor stocks, they are red hot. And Bob Lang says it could get even hotter. I'm not going to disagree with him. Uh, next time there's a pullback, I would do some buying. I don't even know if you'll get one. All right. There's much more mad money in. Who says this isn't the most interactive show on television? You know, a few weeks ago, I recommended a little company. It's called Everbridge as a homework item. And the CEO joins me tonight. Then, is it too late to get in and out and in with this market? I'm going to give you my take. It's a real lesson about what you can and can't do. And all you call is rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. A few weeks ago, I recommended an exciting little company. It's called Everbridge, and it was done as a homework item. These guys make critical event management software. Don't worry, you're going to learn what that means. It allows enterprises and governments to stay in touch with employees, customers, business partners when something horrible happens. Think about, uh, yes, a terrorist attack, natural disaster. Since then, the stock has caught fire, with most of the move coming today after Everbridge reported a beautiful blowout quarter last night, sent the stock surging 13.5%, deserving. Now, when I recommend Everbridge, I also issued an open invitation to its new CEO to come visit us, explain what his business does in its own words. So let's take a closer look with David Meredith. He's the CEO of Everbridge to get a better read on his company in the wake of this magnificent set of results. Mr. Meredith, welcome to Man Money. Thanks, Good to Jim. see you, sir. Great to, great to uh, see you. Thank you. David, I got to tell you, when we, um, we knew that your earnings were coming up. So uh, we're always reluctant to say, look, this is good. But we looked at the company, and I hate to say it, but there are enough crises in the world there are enough worries about terrorist events that we figured it 
kind of had to happen, and it did. Well, Jim, we're, thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, we're a mission-driven company, and our mission is to keep people safe and keep businesses running faster. So that's why we're all here. That's why we work so hard. And unfortunately, because of what's happening, if you look back from 2000 till now, mm-hmm. you see a 30x increase in man-made attacks, a 20x increase in cyber attacks, 2x increase in natural disasters. So increasingly, it's not a question of if a company will be impacted by uh, some sort of a critical event, but when and how severe and how prepared can they be. Now, the thing that's really exciting and why we're starting to see a lot of adoption accelerate is because now that the system's in place as a unified operating platform, we're able to drive business returns, return on investment through a lot of different use cases because the system's always on, always running, helping your company be more efficient in addition to protecting your employees. So it's Good, it's good for your people, but it's also good business. Okay, so let's use a crisis, the coronavirus. Uh, I don't want it. Nobody wants it. Uh, a company might get it. What do we do? Yeah, so the coronavirus is very serious, and we're getting a lot of activity with our Everbridge network and our customers. In recent weeks, we've had almost 6 million communications or messages specifically about the coronavirus mm-hmm. with our companies, our, especially our multinationals, trying to coordinate, manage their supply chain, making sure there's not a disruption oh. in the supply chain, trying to okay. look and see where their employees have been, mapping to where the virus has been, to see other issues they need to manage, so they need to have people work from home. So it's, it's really helping our, co- our companies. And I want to thank you because the show and CNBC, I think, has been really out in front on educating the public oh, thank on you. the coronavirus. Thank you. Now, Okay, so let's take that a step further. Uh, um, Tim Cook, I've got employees all over the world. I've got six or seven factories that are suppliers to me in this area of Wuhan, which you can't get to. Uh, how would I use my, uh, my I know, or let, let's pick a client. You're, uh, Goldman has employees in, in, uh, in China. What do you do? How do you contact them? So let's talk about critical event management. Okay. Start with what is a critical event? A critical event. First of all, there's things that you care about. So you've got your employees, right. your assets, your offices, your supply chain, mm-hmm. your customers, and your brand, because these can ultimately affect your reputation as a company. Those are things that you care about. On the other hand, you have things that can affect those in a negative way. Could be a natural disaster, could be weather, could be right. coronavirus. So what we do is, we first of all, we have a... Uh, single pane of glass with over 22,000 risk data elements that are certified. Okay. So we're getting data from all over the world, social media, the weather, the CDC, there are Everbridge network of customers. So we've got people monitoring, one, experts monitoring 24 by 7 in right. multiple operations around the world. We also have artificial intelligence and machine learning going through all that data. So in other words, Verizon couldn't do it. They couldn't compete. Because I was thinking, hey, listen, I get this alert. There's a storm. Uh, I mean, that's not that sophisticated. You're talking about very sophisticated. It starts with the data because you've got to know where are my assets. I've got a supply chain in China or I have people that are traveling to another country. Where are those people and where is the threat? And when those two overlap, that is a critical event. So we start with 22,000 data elements and then we take all the assets of a company, so a Goldman Sachs or a Microsoft, and we're mapping, here's all of your supply chain, here's all of your employees. And then we're able to keep track of the employees even when they're traveling. So right now, today, 
we're integrated with almost 100 other software providers. So when I checked in here today at the building with your visitor management right. system, we're integrated with the visitor management system. If you've got an active shooter detection, we're integrated with that. I was going to say the active shooter is the one that I – what would it say on my – on my, what, my cell phone, how would I know about an active shooter or a gas leak? So we communicate through 100 different modalities. It could be through a message. It could be voice. It could be uh, through the app. Um, and so if there's an active shooter detection system is triggered, that's automatically going to trigger a digitized set of protocols for what happens when, when you're in that situation. And then the system kicks in and does it in an automatic well, way. And why, you get a message right away. Why would my life insurance not insist that I have this as something, as a caveat to be able to uh, keep me from, from a terrible, tragic event? That is the first question I asked, Jim, when I joined the company. Right? So we're reaching out to the insurance companies now to talk to them about this might be something you want to factor in in terms of your insurance costs. And, and we're getting traction. So just this last quarter, one of the leading uh, consulting firms around risk management for companies, they've been in business 45 years, called Control Risks. They just launched a new practice called Critical Event Management Practice Area. So this, oh, okay. is a, this whole category we pioneered about three years ago, but it's growing very rapidly. And more and more, if you're on the board of directors or if you're the CEO of a company, People are saying, are we prepared when something happens right. we're not ready for? Okay, so let's take Marvin Ellison, the unbelievably great CEO of Lowe's. I guess he wants to know where his employees are for all those different stores. Absolutely. And in the case of Lowe's, we're doing some really good operational use cases. So we're also integrated with their IT management. So if they have an IT outage, which is another form of a critical event, right. we're able to hopefully prevent the IT outage or dramatically reduce the downtime. And the numbers we're seeing at Lowe's already are very significant in terms of the improvement. It's incredibly expensive to have downtime for your right. operation. And that could come from a cyber attack or it could just come from uh, other type of IT outage. All right, well, one last question, David. Uh is there, who are your competitors? Well, it's a great question. So we've pioneered this space, critical yeah. event management. And usually when we go into a company, they're trying to piece it together themselves. Sells. They're getting okay, five or six different pieces. They're trying to do it. We mainly have point solution providers. So one of the things we've really gotten good, if you look at the last quarter, oh. we had a breakout quarter for CEM. We doubled right. uh, quarter over quarter our CEM deals. Uh, critical event management. Critical event management. Uh, and what's happening is we're replacing three or four or five other vendors with happening. one platform. And it's a, it's a cost-saving. And now we're doing a gym for entire countries. So in the fourth quarter, we actually won the country of Peru. So now we've won four countries in Europe, Australia, Singapore, Peru. And the European Union is going to mandate that all EU countries have to have a platform like this in place by June of 2022. So what we're very roadmap. well positioned. You have a great roadmap. You've built a terrific company. These are the kind of companies I'm so glad. We do the homework. You watch the show. You come on. More people get in the stock, which is what they should do, because you're very early in your growth. That's David Murray, CEO of Everbridge. That money's back after the break. It is time! It's time for the light round! Good muscle rap car world and say to bye bye And then the lightning round's over. Are you ready? Skate down. It's time for the light round. Good member. Let's start with Joseph in New York. Joseph! Yeah, Jim. Would you recommend Lamb Research? The stock's had an unbelievable run. Fantastic run. We did sell it for actionlearnsplus.com. My travel trust was included. had too much of a run. Want to pull back? Bye, bye, bye. How about Carol, New York? Carol. Hi, Jim. Carol. What are your thoughts on BRO these days? Which one? 
B-R-O. Oh, Brown and Brown, they're doing fantastically. Risk management, that is a great business to be in right now. Ah. How about Bill in New York, Bill? Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Bill. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Uh, since we all love pets, right. my stock is Fresh Pet. I just did the analysis of Fresh Pet this very weekend because I cannot believe where the stock is gone. It is doing so well, and it is not bye, done. Bye, bye, bye. Although once my um, stepson did eat some of the Fresh Pet that was in the refrigerator, it looked like a lot like liverwurst. I wouldn't have eaten that either. Let's go to Gianni in California. Gianni! Hey, Jimmy C. Yo, yo, man. Thank you so much. You and your show are brilliant. I really enjoy it. We got it. some smart people so, making me look good. I'm a marionette. What's happening? Last, last year, I loaded up on Lados at 50 bucks, and I'm, I still own it, so thank you so much. Uh, you're but right. Now, thank you. Yeah, Lados was a nice spinoff. We got that one right. Go ahead. Okay. But now, I want to load up on Arista Networks. I don't know. The last quarter wasn't so great, and Cisco's gunning for him, but I, I mean, I guess I could make a case for it, but... I, I, there's there's better fish to fry, so to speak, and better chips, too. Let's go to Dean in Oklahoma. Dean. Hey, Jim. Longtime fan. Booyah. Nice. What's up? Hey, uh, what do you think about FTC's Mile Direct Club? Battleground! Don't get me into that no man's land. I can do without that. I'm not going over the top. And that, ladies and gentlemen, Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Can you get out of this market and then get right back in? Or is it just not worth the effort to try to sidestep the potential downside if another shoe drops with this coronavirus outbreak? Earlier this week, I got to tell you, we got a wake-up call that Apple's going to have a disappointing quarter because the quarantines in China are messing with the iPhone supply chain. Ever since, I've been wondering if it's worth trimming some positions in a world where the stock market doesn't have much competition and index fund buyers, not the Fed, index fund buyers keep propping us up. To put it another way, investors keep buying stocks because everyone knows this virus will eventually run its course, and most people who get sick will recover, just like with the normal flu. I think it's telling that the best of the best when it comes to this subject, Dr. Tony Fauci, ended his latest discussion on our network with a reminder of how deadly the regular flu is, and sadly, flu season's having a weird second leg right now. I don't know why there's been no discussion about how children seem to be escape, escape unscathed by this coronavirus. Those in the 20s, 30s, 40s, they're getting disease and stay at home until they have it beat with some fraction choosing to go to the hospital if it gets worse. But let me tell you why I think Wall Street's becoming less afraid. First off, Americans are seeing exactly what it means that the People's Republic of China is a dictatorship. That wasn't just a buzzword we threw around to make them look bad during the trade war. This is a seriously authoritarian regime. China's not handled this outbreak well, no kidding. But they now got 50 million people quarantined. Now, this is downright Stalinist, almost like the partially man-made famine that rocked Ukraine in the 30s. Well, I think the draconian quarantine is horrible. To some extent, it's got to be limiting the spread of the virus. Isn't that what's happening with those numbers? Second, there's so much stimulus being injected in the Chinese economy that if this outbreak is solved, their whole country is going to be on steroids. They are propping up their economy by any means necessary, a la Malcolm X or the former head of the European Central Bank, Mario Draghi. How often do you hear those two guys mention the same breath? Third, maybe we have faith that our drug companies will be able to come up with some kind of treatment. You know, they say that there's absolutely no success whatsoever and that they're just they can't figure it out at all. 
Let me put it this way. If this coronavirus outbreak is slowed, <clears throat> or more importantly, if we can convince Wall Street that it's no worse than a severe flu season, although easily caught, okay, something that was unthinkable a week ago, then you can get a rally of immense proportions, even with all the speculation that's going on. And that's a possibility. Uh, it makes sense to stick with this market, even if you're worried about a pullback, if that happens. Finally, what else is suddenly taking a softer line on China? Sure, a lot of saber rattling, but that's it. I think the hardliners may have, they may be out or at least lost their way. There's too much upside, not enough downside. So the selling you might have expected, should have expected, hasn't materialized. Therefore, it's too late to sell and then try to buy back later. That is the conventional wisdom, is it right? I think it's wrong for the stocks that are directly impacted by the outbreak. I would sell it. But at the moment, the market seems to disagree even on those stocks. Stick with Kramer. Stay right there. You don't want to miss a CNBC special report on the coronavirus outbreak. This time hosted by my friend Wilfred Frost. It's up next. What can I say? Look, it was the most speculative day I have seen in ages. Yes, it makes me nervous, but I am still blessing speculation. But I am really blessing. Take a little off. Go buy yourself the equivalent of what my mother would say is a cashmere sweater. Just imagine what that is in 2020 times. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The CNBC special report begins right now.